everyone. It is a Wednesday edition of the We Tackle Life podcast. Much to talk about today, Ohio State basketball related, the Tiger Woods auto crash, and a faith segment where I'm going to talk about some people that have made a big difference in my life and hopefully provide a template for how you can make a big difference in other people's lives. I want to welcome you in. Thank you for watching, whether it's on the uh, YouTube channel, the Facebook pages, via Periscope on Twitter. And encourage you to send me an email. Let me know what you think of the content, what you'd like for me to talk about. If you have any ideas, the email address is wetacklelife at gmail.com. And appreciate a review on iTunes. Thank you to those who've posted recently. And you can support the podcast on Patreon if you so choose. I think you have to search Spielman and Hooley. Um, I intended to bring down today from the kitchen a really cool bottle uh, with a wax seal on the top of the newest flavor at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, the Bourbon Barrel Coffee. Yes, they take coffee beans, hand-picked in Indonesia or Nicaragua or Thailand. I'm not really sure which is the source of these particular beans. They put them in an actual bourbon barrel and roll it around the facility so that the bourbon flavoring is infused into the beans. And that's what you get when you buy the new flavor. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, Bourbon Barrel Coffee. You get 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. And we appreciate you continuing to order from Hemisphere because that justifies them continuing to support the podcast. And that allows them to help continue support their growers around the world who do great things in their local communities and help the economy in those local communities more so than if the growers had to sell their coffee through a government entity or a middleman. So thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. And we hope you continue to enjoy awesome Hemisphere Coffee Roasters coffee. My daughter made uh, gluten-free, sugar-free brownies for my other daughter, who is gluten-free and sugar-free. And she used the Hemisphere Cocal Chocolate uh, to flavor the brownies, and they were awesome. They didn't taste sugar-free, and they didn't taste gluten-free. This tasted really good. So that's another way that you can patronize Hemisphere and make use of their great products. HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Promo code, we tackle life in all caps. Okay, uh, it's very rare in the wintertime to have something other than maybe football recruiting or a football coaching change take precedence over Ohio State basketball when Ohio State basketball is ranked in the top five, and they are ranked in the top five. They are number four despite the loss on Sunday to Michigan. Big one coming up on Thursday night at Michigan State. Uh, I don't know whether to be happy or unhappy about what happened to Michigan State last night with their game against the Buckeyes coming up tomorrow night. But what takes precedence over Ohio State basketball at the start of the podcast? Tiger Woods crashing his car in California, his courtesy car, his Hyundai, well, it's not a Hyundai anymore. Genesis is a standalone brand. Used to be uh, a uh, division of Hyundai. That was their high-line luxury vehicle was the Genesis. Now it's their own brand. Okay, so Tiger's out there in uh, L.A. He's the, he's the uh, kind of the, he's not really the, he's the host. That's what he is, the host of the... Genesis Invitational at Riviera Country Club over the weekend. So he's still hanging around. He's shooting some uh, footage with supposedly Drew Brees and Justin Herbert at 8 o'clock in the morning at Sherwood Country Club. I don't know if he was late. We haven't gotten a lot of details on what happened to uh, instigate the crash. I think there are a couple things that could have happened. But what we do have right now is a clearer picture of Tiger Woods' injuries, and they're not good. 
uh, multiple fractures of his right leg, open wound fractures. Okay, so probably a lot of you have seen or watched the documentary on Alex Smith, the former number one overall pick in the NFL draft, San Francisco 49er now with the Washington football team. Alex Smith had the gruesome broken leg and uh, almost died from infections and repeated surgeries and staph issues, staph infection issues. Okay, I am not, obviously not, predicting that for Tiger Woods. I'm saying this is a very serious injury. And I play golf myself, and the power from the golf swing for a right-handed player like Tiger Woods is based upon a stable foundation of the right leg. And when you watch Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, um, pretty much anybody now, any of these little guys who hit it a mile, uh, oh, I can't think of that kid's name, Joaquin Neiman, Joaquin Neiman, who is just, Bendy Gumby weighs like 140 pounds, hits it a mile. They push is not really the word. Jump is the better word. Off their right leg, transitioning from the coil of the backswing into the ball and through the ball. And I just think that the injuries that Tiger Woods suffered, A, long rehab. Long rehab. B, um, compounded by recovering from his fifth back surgery recently. And now you build in that the base of his golf swing has been repaired last night by in a 15-hour surgery. Or no, it wasn't a 15-hour surgery. We got details. I guess we got details 15 hours after the crash. Um, he's got multiple pins and screws and all this stuff in his leg. And anytime you put a foreign object into the human body, you have the potential for that causing issues later on. Uh, I've got some, I got a fake right shoulder. I've got screws in my ankle and times those things bother you. So this is really a major threat to Tiger Woods ever playing professional golf again at the level that he has played it, which has been without peer in the current era. I mean, Tiger Woods is, you know, I've transitioned all through all kinds of things with Tiger. You know, was a big, big fan of Tiger's initially. Then uh, felt like he disrespected the game a lot with his attitude and his anger and the way he treated people. Then was all out on him after his, uh, you know, well-known, well-documented shortcomings toward his family. Had to admire the amazing uh, talent. I'm going out of order here chronologically, but I was uh, I was rooting for other like back when Tiger and David Duval were supposedly dueling for the superiority of professional golf. I was a Duval guy because I thought Duval doesn't run hot. He respects the game, and Tiger will not be. This is one of my all time bad takes. Tiger won't be a better player long term. <laughs> this sounds so ridiculous. I can't say it without laughing. David Duvall, Tiger be a, a worse long-term bet than David Duvall because Duvall keeps his emotions in check. Well, that was obviously ridiculous. 
Duvall got happy after he won the British Open as one major and got got married and became enamored with his family, which you know, that's a great life choice. But Tiger remained single-minded and an alpha male, and then it got to the point where he just won so much. He was just stupid if you didn't say, this dude is unbelievable. For a while, he made every putt, made every big shot, hit some of the most heroic shots I've ever seen. Um, just tremendous. Then came the off-course revelations, and that's obviously not a lifestyle that I wanted to glorify, and so I was like, okay, um, I'm, I'm kind of out on Tiger. But then when he wins the Masters two years ago, you're like, whoa, this dude is just amazing in his overcoming surgeries and all this kind of stuff. So now here we go again with what I would think is the the greatest threat to his uh, ongoing position at the top of golf or contending for the top of golf. The emotional stuff, the family stuff, the embarrassment of that, big threat. The back injuries, the Achilles tendon injury, big threat. But this, at this stage of his career, is what could render him unable to play professional golf at the level we have become accustomed. And if you're, most of you do listen to this podcast from the state of Ohio, Tiger Woods has 82 professional victories. And let's count them up. Five Memorial Tournaments. Eight Bridgestone Invitationals. Five Memorial Tournaments. Eight Bridgestone Invitationals. If Tiger Woods never won another tournament in his life, Aside from those, in his whole career, like no Harbortown, no Riviera, no uh, Pebble Beach, no U.S. Open, no Masters, no PGA, no British Opens, Tiger Woods would be an extremely wealthy man and a pretty doggone good professional golfer with 13 career wins in the state of Ohio. He won the Memorial in 99-2000-2001. He won it in 09 in 2012, the Bridgestone Invitational in Akron, uh, he and his caddy Stevie Williams used to refer to that tournament as their annuity because he just he owned Firestone Country Club. He just owned it. I covered one of his wins up there where there'd been a torrential rainstorm on Sunday as the tournament was trying to finish. They got him back out on the golf course. They're coming down to the end, and Tiger hit his approach shot to 18 in the dark. Television, the lens of the camera opens way up, so you get way more light in the camera shot that you see on television than the human eye can take in. It was dark. Gave him the yardage, pulled out an eight iron, and he hit it to like a foot. I mean, just a, the guy just did amazing things. He won the Bridgestone Invitational, 99, 2000, 2001. Same year as he won the Memorial, so he won them both three times. He won... The Bridgestone in 05, 06, 07. So he won the Bridgestone three times in a row, twice. He won it in 09, which he also won the Memorial that year. So that's four times now he's won Memorial and Bridgestone, same year. And then he won the Bridgestone in 2013. So just, he won the Bridgestone four out of five years. 05, 06, 07, 09. Guy's unbelievable. But this is, this is a different animal than conquering a PGA Tour field. This is a different animal than mentally getting yourself right and committing to things in the aftermath of being embarrassed publicly. 
So to me, I have to go based on what I've seen. I've watched that Alex Smith documentary. I've watched all the complications that Alex Smith has undergone in his leg and how hard he had to fight to get back. And still, don't you cringe when you watch Alex Smith play football? Aren't you just afraid somebody's going to hit him? And, oh, my goodness, I, 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 Alex Smith wants to keep playing football. I see his children and his family, and I'm like, dude, let it go. Like, enjoy life. But the competitive drive of an athlete is something that um, must be reconciled within that person. And it's not something that anybody else can really understand or identify with because it's just, for most of us, not something we've experienced at that elite level. What kind of hunger that builds into you, what kind of drive that builds into you, what kind of qualities it takes to develop that in yourself, those qualities that contribute to you reaching the pinnacle of that position in your sport are qualities that don't go away when you get injured. And every athlete professionally has to come to that point where they say, okay, this is it for me. And even Tom Brady will come to that. So Tiger will be contemplating a lot of things over the coming months. He is certainly not going to play professional golf this year. And then you're talking about an age situation and, you know, it's just, it's miraculous in some degree, that he didn't die in this crash because it was really bad. How did it happen? Don't know. A lot of speculation about how it happened. I think given what we know about the scene of the accident, he's going uh, down a down a steep decline in his car. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. Maybe he's running late. Tiger has been known to drive fast. Maybe he's driving a little bit fast. I mean, don't we all have the lack of respect for a rental car than we do for our own car. So he's driving to meet Drew Brees, Justin Herbert, and do a video shoot. He may be late. He's going down a decline, and it's at one point it curves one way and another way it curves another way. They said there were no skid marks, so there was no braking of the vehicle. He struck a median, and he went out of control. Look, it's very plausible that... He got distracted, looked down at his phone, turned to look at something. Who knows? His tire hit the median, perhaps at a point where he was slightly turning, or he didn't turn when he needed to turn, and he hit the median. And hitting the median sent his car at whatever speed it was going, perhaps just 45 miles an hour, which was the speed limit in that area. And it just was a confluence of terrible bad luck or bad operator error and there was no correcting it he hit signs he hit the median he hit trees he rolled over and once a car starts rolling there's nothing you can do so it's yet to be determined if he was you know not impaired in any way the officers on the scene said they didn't have any evidence of that but he's had some bouts with painkillers and stuff before. So I think it's highly irresponsible. Like CNN said, oh, you know, painkillers. That's like, I'm saying nothing will surprise me. Nothing will surprise me if he was totally fine and he just looked at his phone or maybe he didn't even look at his phone. Maybe just people have accidents like this all the time. So there's nothing nefarious in uh, the way that we know the accident occurred so far to think that anything untoward happened. It's just very, very sad. And his life is 
I've always thought, um, Chris and I had this conversation on this podcast one time about Tiger and Michael Jordan and how much their, and this was my error, how much their lives frustrate me because I see so much wealth and so much ability to impact and touch others, and I see no evidence that they uh, invest in ordering their life according to the faith prism through which I view life. And Chris was pretty adamant. He's like, you can't grade other people in that regard because you have your race to run and they have their race to run. Um, so we pray that Tiger, uh, in, in, in an introspective moment during what will be a very difficult rehab, uh, I would pray that he views this as God's call in his life and that God has given him other calls on his life, as he does all of us. He reaches uh, points of attention with all of us. And how we respond in those moments is uh, largely going to define us uh, after we are gone. And so I certainly hope that for Tiger, he finds uh, what um, it appears he has not found yet, which is uh, the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, to Ohio State basketball. Okay, Illinois went to Michigan State last night, and Sparty put a spanking on him. And uh, you can say, hey, that's great, uh, because Illinois is right there with Ohio State. And uh, any Illini loss is good for the Buckeyes getting a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. I'm not as hung up on Ohio State getting a number one seed in the NCAA tournament as it appears most other people are. That's like a big prestige thing. I think it puts a lot of pressure on a team in the NCAA tournament if you're not a super team. And I don't think Ohio State's a super team. They're a really good team. They have a lot of really good qualities. They have some glaring deficiencies. They're not a great defensive team. They are a superbly gifted offensive team. But what do they always say? Best def- The best offense is a great defense. High State's not a great defensive team. They don't have a shot blocker. Nobody's fault. They just don't. Uh, so they have nobody in the middle that protects the rim. I mean, E.J. Liddell blocks shots. Zed Key blocks shots. But he's not an imposing. He's not Kofi Coburn in there. He's not... Hunter Dickinson, he's not um, Luca Garza. He's just not. So that's an issue. And Ohio State has persevered through that issue. I mean, look how they've dealt with size so far. They've been amazing. They won at Illinois. They won at Wisconsin. They got two bigs. The only big until Sunday when Hunter Dickinson was, they couldn't contain him was Liam Robbins from Minnesota, and he had his way with Ohio State, 28 and something. So size gives Ohio State trouble. Will they run into size in the NCAA tournament? Maybe. Good chance, yes. The tournament's all about matchups. A big team is a bad matchup for Ohio State. And Illinois has Kofi Coburn, and Illinois is coming to Ohio State in the final regular season game, and that game may determine... Whether Illinois or Ohio State gets a number one seed. Um, But to me, if you're a two, that's still a really good seed. And I don't think you play appreciably better opponents in the tournament. All right, you might play it. You play a seven or a 10 in the second round if if you're a two, presuming you beat the 15. If you win as a number one, you're going to play an eight or a nine. All right, so there's a 50% chance you might play a nine, which would be, you know, 
There's really no difference between an eight and a nine. What I'm saying is, if you win both your first round games, if you win a first round game as a, a sixteen, as a one, or you win as a fifteen, as a fifteen, you could play a ten, and the other team is going to play an eight or a nine. The seven ten upset is not unusual. So in the second round, you get theoretically, according to the seeding, an easier game, or a slightly harder game. You get a seven, the other team, the one gets a nine or an eight. So I don't think it makes that much difference. You got to win games, and it's more important what the matchups are. Sparty wins that game last night, eighty-one to seventy-two, and Illinois is a squirrely team. Illinois is a team that look they've had a great year. They're sixteen and six. They should be better than that. I mean, their talent is ridiculous. I'm not sure they have better talent than Michigan, but it's doggone close. There's not even any comparison in talent between. Illinois and Michigan and Ohio State. Not even close. Iowa, Iowa, Ohio State, who has better talent? Uh, yeah. I mean, Garza's amazing. Iowa's got a lot of guys who can shoot it. I'd probably lean Iowa. Better talent. So Chris Holtman's getting the most out of Ohio State. And um, Aaron Henry last night for Michigan State. Had an amazing game. You know, Aaron Henry is their leader. And the good thing about Aaron Henry is he's not super big. He's a guy that EJ Liddell and Kyle Young can check. Uh, Aaron Henry last night, 20 points, six rebounds. Pretty solid game for Aaron Henry. Uh, maybe Michigan State uh, will cease this pattern of teams just eviscerating Ohio State from three point range. Michigan State won that game last night. They shot only eight threes, made half of them, but. Holy smokes, everybody's hot from three-point range against Ohio State, which, you know, maybe that's Ohio State's defense. But to me, it feels like it's just when you play Ohio State, hey, it's our night to make threes, whoop-de-doo. Because Michigan sure did in the first half, and Penn State sure did throughout the game um, that was a win in State College prior to the Michigan game. Nobody has a tougher schedule down the stretch than Ohio State. Nobody. I mean, three of your last four games are against teams ranked – in the top 11, two in the top, like, six, Illinois, Michigan, and then you got Iowa coming in. Iowa plays at Michigan State. No, Iowa plays at Michigan tomorrow night. Iowa plays at Michigan tomorrow night. And that game, I mean, Iowa's not going to win that game. Michigan, as I said the other day, they Juwan Howard had some freshmen who bugged out on him at the last minute. He comes up with the leading scorer in the Ivy League, Mike Smith, 108 starts, 2,000-point scorer, and Chaundy Brown, who's Wake Forest's best player. I mean, just ridiculous. I know. No cheating. Give it time. Uh, but it's just, you know, that's great recruiting. And Juwan Howard, you know, he can, uh, he can recruit. So Michigan State now, after being on the bubble, having lost back-to-back -to, -back to Iowa, they got blown out by 30, by 30 at home. To Iowa. Woo-wee. And then lost at Purdue by 10. They've come back to win on the road at Indiana. No great shakes. But their game against Illinois was impressive. So they're making a drive to the tournament. They love to follow a win over 5th-ranked Illinois with a win over 4th-ranked Ohio State. And then we'll see if they can get in. But uh, that would end a long stretch of NCAA appearances for Tom Izzo and Michigan State if they don't get in. This will be a tough game for Ohio State. Ohio State's final four games, Michigan, 
at Michigan State, Iowa, Illinois. Nobody plays a tougher stretch. If I said that, I'll say it again. Nobody plays a tougher stretch. So if Ohio State wins two of those four, I think that's pretty good. A win on the road at Michigan State, a win at home against Iowa, pretty good. But you hate to lose to Illinois and Michigan in the final weeks of the season. They're going to be a two unless they lose all four of those games because they have a lot of quad one wins, which that's the lingo of the tournament. It just means you beat a good team. So that's where we are with Ohio State basketball. Um, back to Tiger for a second uh, because it it I mentioned Alex Smith and his injury being similar to Tiger's. Alex Smith is in the news. The Washington football team is going to release Alex Smith. I will make that little prediction right here. It's not a out-on-a-limb prediction. It's a lead-pipe cinch prediction. Because, A, Alex Smith ripped the Redskins in an interview with someone yesterday or the day before. Saw the story on ESPN.com this morning. Because he said, they didn't want me around. Well, No, they didn't want you around because they didn't think you could play. And they are paying you a ton of money. And they're not going to bring Alex Smith back next season. I can't see it because he can't rely on him. He was hurt for their playoff game against the Bucks. He wanted to play, but they didn't put him out there because he had a bone bruise and Alex Smith stationary with that leg. Mm, they actually had his best interest at heart, I think. His cap hit this year with the Redskins is $24.4 million. And they can save by letting him go almost $14 million. So Alex Smith is going to be released. And uh, maybe the Lions would want him as their backup. Who knows? Sign him on the cheap. Would there be a big market for Alex Smith because of his injury issues? I mean, you want your backup when you go to him. You want your backup to be able, he could go in there and win games. But you can't have your backup hurt or you end up playing, guess what? Taylor Heinke, like Washington did in the playoffs against Tampa. So we'll see what happens with Alex Smith. Browns are all set at backup with Case Keenum. They don't need him. Bengals, eh, they probably like was it Ryan Finley. Uh, but man, I can't see the Bengals going with Alex Smith. Joe Burrow coming back from injury, maybe. You don't want two quarterbacks with knees? No, I don't think so. Okay, a reminder that our official attorney firm is Willis Spangler Starling. You can find them on the web at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. They are specialists in all the major uh, avenues of litigation, personal injury, of course, wills and estate planning, probate, workers' compensation, employment law. Most of your legal jackpots come up in those areas. And Willis Spangler Starling does a lot of its cases on a contingency basis or on a flat fee basis. So as I have discovered um, over the years with friends who've pressed legal actions, you have to come to a point a lot of times where you decide, is this worth going forward because the clock continues to tick and the uh, billing continues to go up? Is it worth it? And the answer is yes, if you know up front what it's going to cost you. And you will always know with Willis Spangler Starling in any case that is flat fee or contingency. Contingency is just, you know, they take a percentage of whatever happens at the end. So that's another aspect of Willis Spangler Starling that, you know, they don't publicize that a lot because it makes them sound like, you know, uh, they don't want to be identified. Let's put it that way with uh, a lot of these firms that uh, when they emphasize that, it's not always done in the most professional way. The thing you find with Willis Spangler Starling is they are not 
carnival barkers. They are solid people, and they understand every aspect of the law, and they understand it's the Super Bowl for you when you're in illegal action or the object of illegal action. So go with Willis Spangler Starling. Resolve in your mind now that if you have an issue coming up, that's the firm you'll go to because the wrong time to look is when you need one. All right. In the faith portion of the podcast today, I want to talk about uh, two people that most of you never met and do not know. They were two transformative people in my life. Their names are Howard and Jean. Howard was my pastor growing up. Jean's his wife. Jean uh, passed away late last week, and Saturday was her memorial service. In the era of COVID, uh, since most people who Gene uh, and Howard touched in their life are at this point in their lives elderly, uh, the memorial service was a <laughs> infinitesimal fraction of the number of people who would have come in a normal time because that's the great impact that Howard and Gene had together. I mentioned them together, even though Howard passed away tragically in an automobile accident 10 years ago. I mentioned them together because I cannot think of them without thinking of them as a team because they were a true ministry team. Gene was a funny, spunky, perfect compliment to Howard, who was also funny, I would say more witty, um, but serious, sincere. They were just an awesome team. They complemented each other. I, I'm not able to say that one's strengths augmented the other's weaknesses because I knew them so long and knew them so well, and they were so impactful in my life that I didn't see any weaknesses on either one of their parts because they were rooted in investing in people. And while Howard and Gene's fondest wish for anyone they knew was for them to place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and live for him, they were nevertheless able to make a transformative impact in every community, and I don't mean just town, I mean community, the circle of people they knew— They were able to make a transformative impact on every community in which they circulated. I know people in my hometown who would never enter the door of a church building who esteemed Howard and Gene highly because they saw how Howard and Gene made no judgment of people based upon whether they were worshipers at their church, believers who went to other churches, or people who had no discernible or demonstrative faith at all. Howard and Gene loved people. They loved everybody that crossed their path. And this got me to thinking about a question that I'm frequently asked, most often on my radio show on 98.9 The Answer, in Columbus, 5 to 7, Monday through Friday. It is a news talk show. It is a show where the bulk of the listeners are conservatives, many of them evangelical Christians. We have had a transition in the administration um, 
in Washington, from the Trump administration to the Biden administration. And this has caused, as you well know, if you are breathing in America, a lot of um, anxiety among those who didn't get their desired result in the election. And it has caused a lot of people on the political side of the aisle that did win the presidential election uh, a desire to undo what's been done and to re uh, and to establish uh, policies that uh, they advocated for. And so people often ask me, what do we do? What do we do, Bruce? How do we fight? And. I understand that question, and I can become a prisoner to that question. And I would say that if you listen to my radio show, you'd say, wow, Bruce, you're really invested in that question, and you have all kinds of opinions, and uh, you get very excited about talking about that. I do. I try to confine my most ardent tone and passion for issues that I think God has a very... um, very passionate interest in, for instance, the pro-life issue. I see no digressing from my commitment to live for Christ in speaking out against abortion, all forms of abortion. Uh, there is, um, there, it's just a, it causes so much pain in our country. It has, it's just, I don't need to go on a rant about it. I'm very, as you know, from listening to this podcast, I'm very pro-life. If you would like to hear more on that, you can listen to the show and I'm sure you'll hear a lot about it because that's one of my passions. And there's nothing wrong with that. God gifts each of us with talents and abilities to um, chase and pursue and articulate our passions. We have to choose wisely in what our passions are. Howard and Gene chose extremely wisely in their passions because their passions were people. And when I get caught up in the question of what do we do now, most often concerns people who are in the news, people on major media outlets, people who are elected officials, people who are appointed officials to big jobs. You know all their names, Pelosi, Schumer, McConnell, uh, Graham, Biden, Harris, on and on and on and on. And these are people that we view as uh, possible transformers of our culture, transformers of policy. And they do have access to doing that. But I believe that God has gifted everyone with an ability to be a transformative person. Everyone in one way or another is a leader. A leader is someone who has influence over one or more people. How many people do you know who don't have influence over one or more people? I don't know any. I don't know any. Howard and Gene were leaders. They were leaders in the church. They were leaders in the community. They were amazingly resolute in their commitment to serving God by serving others. They shepherded me through at least two, probably more, if I did inventory, major crises in my life. They were compassionate, loving, understanding, and tough. There were times when I needed to hear certain things 
and they were committed enough to caring about me that they said the tough thing. And I never doubted that they said it from a position of love and caring and having my best interests at heart. Here's what made them unique. And I am blessed with, with many people in my life like this. And I think this is actually the key to having a very blessed life. It's not wealth. It's not prominence. It's not prestige. It's not power. Those things are valued and esteemed by many. But I think you can say that you have a blessed life, chiefly if you have numerous people in your life who are heavily invested in you and expect absolutely nothing in return. That is what made Howard and Jean unique, special, transformative, and unforgettable. They had a deep investment in legions of people and never expected anything in return. Their reward was serving God by investing in others, modeling Christ's love through all circumstances, and allowing the Holy Spirit to take that investment in people and do what he would do with it in their lives through allowing God to work. Amazing people. Amazing people. And they inspire me to view my own life through that prism. Am I investing in people and am I expecting something in return? I was happening upon a journal entry that I made some months ago, probably in the last year. And I really want to be close to my daughters. Honestly, my daughters probably have a closer bond with their mom. <laughs> their mom is um, their mom's more fun than I am. I'm more serious-minded. I'm uh, too often impatient. Uh, they tell me, you're intimidating, Dad. You're scary. <laughs> I try not to be scary. But that's real to them. And I understand why it's real, because I have not always been as patient and as uh, kind as I endeavor to be. And I don't always police my tone like I should. And so I was looking at this journal entry, and I had uh, a day with one of my daughters because my wife was engaged in something else. And so I did a few things that I thought would make it special. I think I bought her, took her one of her favorite places to eat, and I I just did a few extra things. And in the journal entry, I was writing down, like, this seemed to make no impression on them. And that frustrated me because I'm like, hey, you know, dad's trying to show you that dad really loves you and dad wants you to enjoy your time with dad. So there'll be more dad time later. You'll look forward to, you know, being with dad. And I read that and I was like, that was an instance where you were really a jerk. Bruce, because your investment was motivated only by what you could get out of it. That's not really love. It's definitely not unconditional love. It's conditional love, which is vastly inferior 
to unconditional love. Howard and Gene unconditionally loved people. And they unconditionally loved people who sometimes were very mean to them, very unfair to them. Churches can be hostile places. People can and do, unfortunately, treat pastors and pastoral teams, and Howard and Gene were a true pastoral team, they can treat them very bad and cause lots of deep emotional pain. Howard and Gene were not immune to that. I know they suffered it. But they always forgave and believed the best of other people. Whether, they're, whether the people who had done that to them deserved it or not, why did, they, why did Howard and Gene respond that way? Because God calls us to do that. He doesn't give us that option. He says in the Bible, when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Like, whoa, Peter, seven times. Look at you, Mr. Forgiveness. And Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. And he didn't mean 490 times. He meant unlimited. Because we've all been forgiven unlimited number of times for our shortcomings. That's the beauty of Jesus at the cross. And what we're cleansed of by his blood, his sacrifice, and his coming to life gives us new life with God forever So when we accept it and adopt it into our life. And Howard and Gene definitely did. And while they're gone, Howard's been gone for 10 years. I think of Howard every week for sure and oftentimes daily and always will because he just made that impact on my life. And I never think of Howard without thinking of Gene because... They not only modeled what a pastoral team should be, they modeled what a marriage should be. Jean was a support to Howard. She's a strong woman, standalone in her strength as she did recovering from the injuries in the car accident that claimed Howard's life. Super strong woman. But she understood that the her glory, her individual... Um, um, her standing, was not at all diminished. In fact, was multiplied, magnified by the way that she submitted to Howard as God calls wives to do. Yeah, I know that's so unpopular now. Oh, my goodness, you're devaluing women. No. No, you miss it. You miss it. And Howard, by the way, adored Jean and sacrificed for Jean and cared for Jean. She had some health struggles in her life, and Howard was so tender and caring and patient and loving and compassionate. They were just a beautiful demonstration of marital love and of Christian love. And our world is lessened by the absence of Howard and the absence of Jean, but they're impact lives on, hopefully in me, certainly in their kids, in the legions of people whose lives they impacted. That, that is the answer to those of you who say, well, we lost the election. What do we do? Do that. Love people. Expect nothing in return. Because if you really want to change the rancorous, angry attitudes in our country, that's how it will change.
it is a slow process. It is not an instant fix. It is not an election of X, Y, or Z overnight. It is not the um, adoption or dismissal of a policy. But it is the personification of 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Be on your guard for what's true and what's not. Stand firm in the faith. You're rooted in. You know what the truth is. You know what you believe and you know why. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Don't be shaken by world events. Be strong. Do everything in love. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be people of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. Everything Howard and Jean did for each other, for other people, for God, was done in love. I have a friend who says, um, small things done with great love can change the world. Howard and Jean did a lot of small things with great love. And I would insert that those small things then became big things because they did them with great love. Small things done with great love can change the world. So that is my answer to what we do, because that's what we're called to do as believers in Christ. So thank you for your time today. Um, my friend Jared, uh, speaking of Howard and Jean, says the best team. Yes, they were, and that Jean had great spunk. Yes, she did have great spunk. She was fun. So much fun. They were. So I uh, hope everybody has a great day. Uh, we will talk to you Friday morning after hopefully an Ohio State win at Michigan State. Um, thank you for your time. I appreciate it very, very much. Appreciate the time you devote to the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast. That would be awfully nice of you. That's how we grow the podcast. I'll be a guest on a Sports Spectrum podcast in the middle of March, give you more details on that. That's a national show, and it gives us the opportunity to share our faith, tell more people about uh, this podcast. So I continue to hope that this is a blessing to you and that I'm doing it the way God wants me to do it. I'd appreciate your prayers on doing my afternoon show that way because it's a far greater challenge than here uh, because I control the topics here and talk about what I want to talk about, and I don't talk about, hopefully, the bad stuff. And um, a reminder, too, one of our great sponsors is auiinfo.com. Open enrollment is back on health insurance, and AUI Info can provide all the answers you need, and they provide them free. They're paid by the health insurance companies not by you. So remember, Chrissy, Steve, and the great people at auiinfo.com. Thank you for your time. Talk to you again soon.